Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals. First caller? I had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free. Ooh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal? I paid for 20 tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange. Ooh, you got burned. Next caller? I traded in my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24+. Plus. Hmm, how's that bad? I got to choose from their best plans. So what went wrong? Nothing went wrong. And you're calling to... To request a song? You want a song. Of course. My choice is yours. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Murder in Illinois is a production of iHeartRadio. On September 21st, 2012, a Will County jury consisting of eight men and four women deliberated for less than 50 minutes before convicting Christopher Vaughn of killing his wife and three children in the family's SUV in 2007 in a bid to start a new life in the Canadian wilderness. Over the course of five weeks, jury foreman Dan Lachey and his fellow jurors heard from nearly 90 witnesses and saw more than 700 exhibits. Afterwards, Lachey expressed his interest in writing a book on the case and told press there was no doubt in the jurors' minds of Vaughn's guilt, and they never even considered the defense argument that Vaughn's wife committed the murders. He also referenced Vaughn's flat demeanor, saying, quote, If you watched him throughout the trial like we did, I think you'd come to the same conclusion as we did, unquote. In this episode, we'll break down the circumstantial and forensic evidence that possibly led to a conviction based on what could be emotional and confirmation bias. I'm Lauren Bright Pacheco, and this is Murder in Illinois.
Let's start with two words you've almost heard more in this podcast than Christopher or Vaughn. Tunnel vision. In legal terms, it's defined as a tendency fueled by bias and pressure that leads actors in the criminal justice system to single-mindedly focus on a suspect and build a case for conviction while ignoring evidence that points away from guilt. Bill Clutter believes it was in play throughout the case against Vaughn. This really is a textbook case of tunnel vision and confirmatory bias because each fact that they would discover and learn about Chris, his secret life of going to strip clubs, aha, you know, just reinforces you did it because he already started with that assumption. Clutter characterizes the combination of tunnel vision and confirmation bias as something Vaughn referenced in their first jailhouse meeting, a perfect storm. Every time they would find a new bad fact for Chris that you're spending thousands of dollars on strip clubs, you went to the gun range the day before, you've got this fantasy of of hiking into the Yukon and never coming back and leaving your family. I mean, these are all bad facts in terms of painting character. So it was almost a piling on effect that every time they would discover some fact like that, it just reinforced their belief that he did it without really conducting the type of objective investigation that the crime scene investigator, Bob Deal, was urging them to do. Follow the evidence, follow the CSI, rather than your gut instincts. You've also heard Bob Deal's name a bunch. The former Illinois State Police crime investigator played a role in both high-profile cases that unfolded in the Will County Courthouse in 2012. So even as he was trying to raise flags in the handling of Vaughn's case, Deal was being maligned for his handling of the Drew Peterson case. Deal, along with others, had initially ruled out foul play in the bathtub drowning of Peterson's third wife, Kathleen Savio. In pursuing their case against Peterson, prosecutors laid blame for that ruling on the former Illinois State Police crime investigator, which also made it easy to discredit Deal's thoughts on the Vaughn case unfolding across the hall. Here's Clutter. Let me say something about Bob Deal and his defense, because this also runs along that same argument, because it... When Chris is being tried, it's simultaneous to the Drew Peterson case. And Bob Deal wasn't the only one that assumed that Peterson's wife drowned in this bathtub. It was also the medical examiner that determines cause of death. So it's not like they can point to one case where he got it wrong and therefore disregard everything you say about this other case. In his initial crime scene report, Bob Deal listed Kimberly Vaughn as suspect number one and Chris Vaughn as suspect number two. In his deposition, Deal contends his removal from the Vaughn investigation was because his processing of the crime scene did not dismiss the possibility that Kim Vaughn may have in fact killed her children, shot Chris, and then committed suicide. Because Deal's opinion was at odds with the Illinois State Police and the Will County State's attorney, Deal believes he was removed from anything to do with the case. In fact, he was asked to never process another crime scene in Will County. Deal felt investigators retrofitted the evidence to fit their theory that Vaughn was standing outside the passenger door when he shot his wife and kids, a theory that Sergeant Gary Lawson came up with the day of the tragedy. 
in his deposition, Deal says he told Sergeant Lawson that, based on the crime scene evidence, that was, quote, friggin' impossible. Back to Bill Clutter. How did the jury react to Deal's allegation of tunnel vision and immediate bias against Vaughn? Well, they didn't get to hear that evidence. The judge wouldn't allow uh, Deal to testify to that. The, the judge denied it. The judge wouldn't allow him to testify about the call he received from Ken Copas, who was the commander of the investigation unit of the Illinois State Police, that they felt that the husband did it and wouldn't allow Deal to testify about his participation in the major case review that included the entire investigative team, including the state's attorney, James Glasgow, where Glasgow offered his opinion that Kim was an angel, there's no way she could have done this, and Deal told him that the crime scene evidence can't eliminate her as having done this. In fact, much of the forensic evidence supports that she did. And they weren't willing to to listen to the objective, basically the science-based evidence. It struck me when I was rereading Deal's deposition that he claims that Sergeant Gary Lawson came up with the theory of Vaughn standing outside the passenger window with the gun, killing Kim and then the kids, the same day as the murders. That's right. And Deal had him demonstrate his theory with an unloaded gun. And then he went about demonstrating to Lawson why the bullet trajectory evidence didn't support that theory. And, you know, that's significant. Looking back now, was there an unwillingness to examine the evidence objectively? And how does the prosecution's case against Christopher Vaughn hold up? Let's start with Vaughn's time and money spent at strip clubs, the first of multiple damning revelations that would make headlines after the murders. Here again is Bill Clutter. It's a tactic of the prosecutor. The goal is to get the jury to hate the defendant. And there's a lot of ways they do this. In this case, they did it over the fact that he had visited Scores Strip Club on two occasions, dropped, I think, almost $5,000 over the course of two nights. That was a character assassination. And, you know, there's millions of people go to strip clubs. They don't go home and kill their wife and kids. During the trial, the prosecution leaned heavily on morality, portraying Vaughn's visits to strip clubs in the weeks before the murders as incriminating. Was the money spent on strippers anything more than circumstantial? And was it utilized as character assassination to sway a jury without hard evidence? Being unfamiliar with the field, I turned to an expert on the subject, Chase Kelly. I have been stripping for 13 years and working in strip clubs since 2001. I am pretty well versed in the strip club world. I also coach entertainers for a living. So I pretty much have spoken to somebody in every club in the country and some internationally as well. So from your experience in terms of working with your clients, your regulars, what percentage of men and I know this isn't a scientific answer, but in your opinion, what percentage of guys who come in are married? 
let's say it's probably around 65 to 75%. This is a married man's sport. While she's not involved in the Vaughn case, Chase is an authority on the types of clubs he visited. Because Vaughn had gone to strip clubs and he'd spent five grand, they made this leap that he wasn't a family man. That somebody would suggest that because somebody's going to a strip club that they don't love their family. That's crazy to me. Crazy. And I have been working in these clubs for 20 years. The prosecution and press focused on the thousands of dollars and time Vaughn spent at clubs as indicative of his level of betrayal. To quote the prosecution, he's not serious about working on his marriage. If he was, he would be in bed next to Kimberly. Here are Chase Kelly's thoughts. I think if a man wanted to cheat, he would do it for free or cheaper. If a man wants to sleep with somebody else, he's going to go and do that. If you want to preserve your marriage, you don't want to cheat, you go to a strip club. There's no cheating because there's no release. There's no physical contact on that level. It's somebody to listen to you, somebody to talk to you, somebody to make you laugh, a break from your life. You know how many great husbands and uh, amazing fathers I've met that have spent $5,000 on me with not a question to be asked about it? $5,000 is a normal amount to spend in a club. Some people might say, oh my gosh, that's crazy. That's a crazy amount of money, but somebody spends $5,000 in my club every night. How does that bill get rung up? That's two hours, $5,000, two hours in a private room. Again, that money wouldn't be buying what many have assumed. Contact is not allowed. The lap dance is what, $20, $30, $40, depending on where you are. That, you're just getting the boobs in the face, right? When you start spending that bigger money, Generally, what we see is that the clients become less sexual and more talkative, comfortable, relaxed. They can melt into the chair and you can ask them questions. And that's how you keep a guy in VIP for two hours. So the two women that Vaughn met in clubs, a woman named Maya and a woman named Crystal, I've had a lot of trouble tracking them down because of the nature of the crime. But they testified, and they both said he was an absolute gentleman and that he just wanted to talk. Don't see why they would have any reason to lie about that. It's very, very common for a guy to go into a club and just have a laugh and leave it behind for a minute. Although many people do use clubs as therapy because of the amount of anonymity that they are granted. Anonymity played into the case against Vaughn with the strippers, as well as Willett, Vaughn's wilderness pen pal. Chris did not share that he was married or had children, but that too can be viewed through a different lens. Back to Chase. Do you think that it's odd that he told one of the women that he wasn't married and he didn't have kids? No. In what sense? It's a fantasy world, right. So he gets to you know, dissociate from his life for a little bit and get to be somebody else. When I go into the club, I change my name. I change my voice. I change my hair. I change the way that I walk. I change the way that I smile. It's a fantasy. Some people need it as escapism and some people need it as a space of acceptance, right? So both are valid. So we create a place that's harmless fun. We are performers. And honestly, 
I think if more wives knew how we conducted our business, they'd say thank you to us instead of vilifying us so much. I really do. Agree or not, this does offer a perspective that places what was circumstantial evidence in another light. Another focus of the prosecution was the wilderness forum Vaughn joined. There is a specific quote from Henry David Thoreau that Vaughn posted. If you are ready to leave father and mother and brother and sister and wife and child and friends, if you never see them again, if you have paid your debts and made your will and settled your affairs and are a free man, then you are ready for a walk. This was presented as evidence Vaughn was ready for that walk, but held back by his family. In addition to the forum posts and emails to Steve Willett, focus was placed on a storage locker that Vaughn had rented and filled with camping equipment. The locker wasn't registered to Chris's home address, but rather a private P.O. box. And the alternate contact was Larry Vaughn, not his wife. To the prosecution, this was more evidence of murderous intent. Here's reporter Erica Wurst's recollections. Fantasizing, that was, and I described it before, as maniacal. He was upset. The storage unit, like, nuts, and the fact that he didn't store any of it in his empty basement while you're clearly hiding something. That whole thing, I mean, if you're looking for motivation... In his emails, he was sending to his little homeboy talking about wanting to leave all of his obligations and take the walk, and he had to tie things up at home first, and you could look at all that both ways. Oh, he wants him to have the money, or it could just be like, I'm going to tie things up at home first. You got to look at it all. But if one's decided someone is a murderer... Everything they do can seem like a sinister act. That is confirmation bias. So let's suppose just for a minute that the storage locker full of equipment wasn't for Chris to run off into the wilderness. Then why did he have it? I wanted to know what Chris's parents thought. Can you guys explain to me your understanding of why Chris had that storage facility? We were going to try to go to Canada, Pierre and I, and Chris and his family. And he was starting to accumulate the stuff that the family and he was going to need. And we were starting to talk about it. And we weren't going to do it until the following August. Sometime after, between when the black flies start and cold weather ends, We hadn't really pinpointed it, but he figured he'd just start getting things together so that uh, when we said, okay, this is what we're going to do, he would have it. Okay. Did he have that storage facility before they moved into the house? Is it something they had when they were in the apartment? I don't know when he got it, actually. But he did tell us that he was starting to put stuff in the storage uh, facility unit so that Uh, It wouldn't get mixed in with the basement full of stuff. There's a photo of Vaughn wearing a cowboy hat standing outside that storage facility. There's snow on the ground, and it's not a selfie. He appears to be holding his cell phone and or his Blackberry in his hand. And we don't even know where that picture came from. Somebody had to take it, but we don't know who. They didn't know who Larry Vaughn was either. When I emailed Chris for clarification about the storage facility, he referenced that picture without prompting. Quote, 
The storage facility was rented after we moved into the house. We did have extra storage space in the apartment, but that was moved into the basement at the house. The plan was to sort through the basement, get rid of stuff, and place the remainder in the new facility, which was smaller. Needless to say, it was a task that was easy to put off to next month, so I had not gotten around to it. Kim had been at the facility with me. There is a picture on the website she had taken of me in front of the orange doors, unquote. Vaughn explained the P.O. box belonged to the company he'd started in Washington, Stonebridge, because he thought he could write it off as a business expense, and that Larry was a name he made up on the spot when the worker at the facility insisted he provide an alternate contact not living in the same residence. If all that's true, the storage facility wasn't a secret stockpile, but a mixture of things from previous and future camping trips— Keep in mind, Chris definitely came from a family with an unusual passion for extreme outdoor activities. Here's Pierre. That's one thing Chris wanted to do is show his kids, you know, how well they have it by taking them out in the wilderness and having them experience the wilderness life versus everything served to you. Modern conveniences. Yeah, modern conveniences. They made a big deal of the storage unit in the trial. Did the defense ever explain it the way you guys just explained it to me? No. It was all one-sided. The The defense never defended it at all, as far as I can recollect. I have obtained both the P.O. Box contract and the receipt from the storage facility. The Oswego P.O. Box is, in fact, clearly attributed to Stonebridge and was used for mail forwarded from Bond's Washington consulting firm. In addition, it was specified to receive items addressed to both Christopher and Kimberly Vaughn, and the contract is dated December 29, 2005, coinciding with the family's move to Illinois. The storage facility receipt is marked with the address of that P.O. box. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey guys, Rob Parker here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like the rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower 
power further than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with the new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. And when you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. In our emails, here's how Chris characterized his communication with Willett and the Wilderness website. Quote, Hiking and camping was a hobby I truly enjoyed. In Washington, the kids and I spent a lot of time hiking the nearby trails. We loved our outdoor adventures. I had hiking trail books for Western Washington. The kids and I spent nearly as much time selecting and planning trips together as we actually did hiking. Camping in Washington was regulated to the backyard, but we spent a lot of time in the tent or the treehouse we built out back. Kim occasionally came hiking, but never joined us camping. In Illinois, the kids were more occupied with school and their own activities, so hadn't got back to hiking yet. Plus, it was Illinois. I continued to take time here and there to get outside, still very much interested. My trips grew in scope, but I was never serious about wilderness survival. That was online boasting among other enthusiasts. I liked I could take a trip to the woods and then return to my comfortable life with modern conveniences. Unquote. If Vaughn's desire was to escape those modern conveniences and his marriage, he also seemed to be making contradictory efforts to salvage it. During Vaughn's initial interrogation, he was asked multiple questions about his relationship with Kim. Chris never spoke disparagingly about her, and in fact spoke actively about their future plans. He also mentioned attempts to reconcile things with his wife. You've heard this exchange during the police questioning before, but it bears repeating. I was taking her on a honeymoon this weekend. We are going to go back to Herman where we had our first honeymoon and kind of do things all over again. Who's going to watch kids? My mom and her sister are coming up on Friday. Tomorrow? Yeah. They're coming to the house to watch the kids for the weekend. And Kim and I... It was a surprise. I didn't want her to have to worry about any of the details or anything like that. So I set it up and I told her parents, I told my parents to kind of coordinate the details. But uh, I was going to take her. her So your mom and your sister? No, my mom and my aunt, her sister. Oh, her sister? Yeah. We're going to come up Friday. When were they supposed to show up? Around noon or so, maybe sometime. And, And Kim had no idea they were coming? I was going to tell her later today. Like what, get, if, what if she would have said, uh-uh, I ain't going. Ain't going to happen. I don't know why she would have said that. But this is, it was going to be good. Do you think one weekend of 
sex with your wife is going to make her forget that you've been having sex with all these other women? You think it wasn't all these other women. It was just one time in Mexico, and it was a start. While we do know Vaughn did make those Herman reservation and plans, Kim apparently had found out about something because she had put in for time off from her pool job. That was used against Vaughn, but others knew and could have tipped her off as to the surprise. The marriage and the last-minute nature of the water park trip also came up in Vaughn's initial questioning. Over the last couple months, I've been trying to, to work to make things better. That was what the honeymoon was all about. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Um, I looked into, I mean, she mentioned spend more time with kids. They're off for summer break. And I thought, well, we're gone on Friday. We're not going to be back until Sunday. And then next weekend, her parents are coming up. And then a couple weeks after that, the kids are going to be in St. Louis for a couple weeks. So we, didn't, we don't have any, like, the five of us family time. Mm-hmm. So I said, fine, you know, let's, let's go to a water park. And, um, you know, one of the things that had come up is one of the water parks that we passed in Springfield uh, when we um, met her parents there. And, you know, and, and I said to Dad, and she's like, fine, you know, let's do that. But were last-minute trips unusual for Vaughn and his family? I asked a former neighbor from Illinois named Barbara. Did the family do strange things like take last-minute trips when you knew them in the apartment? Yeah, I, they took trips quite a bit because they had this, um, it was like a luggage rack on the top of their car. And they would take it off and put it back on. Yeah, they would go to water parks and um, on different trips, yeah. It was kind of flagged as, you know, this last-minute trip. But then speaking to other family members, they did quirky trips all the time last minute. Yeah, they were... That's not the first trip that I've seen them go on. They've gone on quite a few because I remember because of the luggage trip. (laughs) So, no, that wouldn't have been, like, you know just one trip that they chose that was last minute. They went often to, you know, different places. In addition to being an aunt of Alexa, the friend of Abigail we met in a previous episode, Barbara was close to Kim and offers insight into her personality and mothering. I felt she was pretty adjusted. And then I ended up finding out she was in school online getting her criminal justice degree. And she like had a lot lot of irons in the fire with her kids, but she always put her kids first. Everything, she would be in the classroom, going to drop them off, going to pick them up, just always there for them. Whatever activities they were involved in, she was there. So she seemed like super mom. Yes, I called her the mother of all mothers. And the reason why I called her that is because Kim never raised her voice. She was always so calm, and I started asking her questions like, you don't ever get angry and raise your voice because I've never seen her raise her voice at her kids. And it just shocked me because at some point, some mom says, don't do that, or what are you doing? But Kim was always just calm with her voice, and she always told her kids, use your words. All the time I heard that from her. Her husband was out of town a lot. I met him once, 
but I spent, um, you know, some time with Kim and the kids. I know that you only met him once, but do you remember any impressions of Chris? Yes. Chris was a really nice guy. He was very kind, but I don't know why the hairs on my neck stood up when I met him. I can't even explain it. I, I can't. He was a nice guy. He wasn't rude or mean or anything like that, but I don't know what I was sensing. And I just um, said hello and I left. And this is how many people who knew Kim felt, that Chris was quiet, sort of offbeat, and that Kim was just a vibrant, wonderful mother. All these years later, Barbara remains upset and confused as to what actually happened that day. It was unbelievable. I cried so hard. I, even when I think about it now, it makes me sad. Um, they were such good kids. Kim was such a good mother, you know. This lady was the mother of all mothers. She was so good to her kids. What in the world happened? What happened? And I'm like, whatever they were saying on the news was not making sense. When the stories came out that Chris said that she shot the kids and then shot him, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Kim, the Kim I know would never do that. Kim, the Kim I know would have put her body on her kids and covered her kids up. So in my mind, I thought he would have had to shoot her first because she would have she would have protected her kids like she was a mama bear. She was the mother of all mothers. Kim would have laid her body over those kids. I'm telling you right now. Oh, God. She would have covered them kids with. She would have fought with all she had. We'll revisit this later, but there was absolutely no sign of struggle. Kim did not have defensive wounds, bruises, pulled hair, nothing that suggests she was held in place while a shot was placed with precision just slightly away from the soft area under her chin. And when her nails were scraped, they did not contain Christopher Vaughn's DNA. You mentioned that she had migraines. Can you just elaborate a little bit upon that? How did you know and how... How much did they impact her? All I know is that she suffered from them quite a bit. Uh, She would have headaches, and she talked about them sometime. She was involved with so much, but I know that she had them. And that she still was in school when the kids were gone, you know, online. She still worked in their classroom quite a bit. Did she ever talk to you about the medication she was taking for her migraines and her anxiety? No, we never talked about that. But Kim did discuss issues associated with those medications with others. Here's Bill Clutter. In her own words, on May 24th of 2007, and this is three weeks before this tragedy happened, there was um, an email she had written to Chris after she had visited an osteopath and she reported to the osteopath that she was taking these migraine prescriptions and that she was feeling anxiety. 
uh, high anxiety was the notation in the medical records. And in her own words, she says, I told him that you had noticed and I had noticed a big personality change and anxiety change and that I was feeling lethargic, tired all the time. And of course, when you look at the medication guide that came out a year later when the FDA was wanting to uh, place a, a black box warning on Topamax, warning suicidal behavior and ideation, anti-epileptic drugs, including Topamax, increase the risk of suicidal thoughts or behavior in patients taking these drugs for any indications. And it goes on to say, uh, patients treated with anti-epileptic drugs for any indication should be monitored for the emergence of worsening of depression, suicidal thoughts or behavior, and or any unusual changes in mood or behavior. And it describes feeling agitated or restless, panic attacks, trouble sleeping, new or worse irritability, acting aggressive, being angry or violent, acting on dangerous impulses, an extreme increase in anxiety and talking mania. So her change in personality and her anxiety would have gone hand in hand with an adverse reaction. That's right. Two days after the tragedy, police spoke with a sixth grade locker buddy of Abigail Vaughn about an interaction he had with his visibly upset friend on June 7th, a week before the murders. His name is Jacob. He's now in his 20s. Tell me about the conversation you two had on the last day of school in 2007 and why that stuck out to you. Um, It stuck out to me because she was really upset. She said that her mom was acting crazy, and um, that was basically the gist of that. It was one of the first things that popped up in my head when I first heard about the murders. What he told police according to their report two days after the tragedy, was that Abigail Vaughn said her mother was, quote, hearing thoughts in her head, unquote, and, quote, psycho. Bill Clutter also spoke with him in 2009. Well, I spoke to both of Jacob's parents before talking to him because he was a minor, and and they explained that Jacob had related this to them. And uh, they felt it was important for the state police to know this. And that resulted in Jacob's interview. Because they believed that his story about the mother's mental state might bear significance on the murders. Right. According to your notes, what did Abby tell Jacob? That her mother was hearing thoughts in her head. She would be talking to herself and nobody was there. And then uh, she mentioned that uh, her mother was sleep-talking. And and all of this paints a picture of some sort of mental instability that's happening with, with Kimberly Vaughn. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. 
With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, guys. It's Steve Cavino from Cavino & Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with the new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better when you buy a toyota truck you buy toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold this value long into the future so visit your local toyota dealer check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com toyota let's go places with every cbd product claiming to do something different it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. During the trial, forensic pathologist Dr. Larry Bloom testified that at the time of her death, Kimberly Vaughn was taking two medications known to cause increased risk of suicidal thoughts and side effects including confusion or agitation. If Kim was in fact struggling with difficulties with the medication she was taking or exhibiting anomalies in her behavior behind the scenes that strained their relationship to some degree, Chris's behavior after the tragedy, in many ways, could have been seen as a normal response, according to neuroscientist and professor of human behavior, Dr. James Fallon. Right? It's like I, it was my fault because I didn't understand him enough or her enough. And, and so they'll start blaming themselves. Let's also address Vaughn's personality. He came across to some acquaintances in the initial questioning, the press, and the courtroom as odd. He's unusually intelligent, as his former salary and profession would imply, but given his interest in druidism, writing poems in Celtic, and role-playing on wilderness sites, he's also quirky. Did that add to his perception of guilt? Here's Dr. Fallon's take. This reminds me a bit of somebody who's an introvert and, and maybe not open. You know, it, it brings you back to To Kill a Mockingbird with Boo Radley, who was a little eccentric. I don't know if Christopher Bond's eccentric at all, but it just, in reading it, I said, here's an easy mark. An introvert who just wants to go off the grid, like I think anybody would want to do it, considering everything. And they put in there things about, he went, he, he went to a strip club and he had an affair. If this is the sort of evidence you need, I, I wonder how many DAs are going to pass that test, or, or sheriffs, or, or, any, or anybody. 
And so it, it seemed completely made out of less than whole cloth. When Vaughn was convicted, here's how the Will County State's attorney, James Glasgow, referred to him. He's a heartless, soulless psychopath, without any compassion, without any empathy for other human beings. Dr. Fallon is an expert on these terms, which require evaluation. I didn't see any good psychiatric analyses in these reports. How how did he know this? Or how did he, because he doesn't seem like it, right, at all. For some reason, he was demonizing it. Were there people involved in the case who were doing things for political reasons? I mean, because it's when you read this whole thing, it says somebody's getting bamboozled. Now let's address emotional bias in keeping with such a brutal, unfathomable tragedy and the crime scene photos shown as evidence during the trial. You've heard the impact they had on many, including Joe Hosey and Erica Wurst, reporters who covered the trial. I don't think I saw the crime scene photos until the trial. They were heartbreaking. They were horrible. They were horrible. You have little babies with bullet wounds that we're zooming up on and seeing and Kim with her hand like slouched like down by the center council kind of and she's got her wedding ring on. That's one that's like seared into my head just because it's so sad. Bill Clutter points out something that may seem obvious but needs to be taken into account. There's evidence in the sense that it describes the crime scene, but it's not evidence that resolves the issue of who did it. And unfortunately, in this case, the prosecution had a big screen to display the crime scene photos. And more than anything else, it was the emotional impact of those photos, I think, that really swayed the jury. Was Chris Vaughn convicted on character assassination and circumstantial evidence? Let's take a step back from emotion, a step back from Chris or Kim, and let's look solely at evidence. The crime scene evidence remains problematic for both the prosecution and the defense because it doesn't align with either of their versions. Let's start with the blood evidence. There's no physical evidence that supports the state's theory that Chris reached around his wife after shooting her to shoot the kids. There was no transfer of her blood onto the front of his body. He would have had to lean over her body to make those shots. I mean, she's bleeding profusely, and her blood is falling and it's pooling on the center console, and then it's splashing up onto the back of his driver's seat. Well, there's no evidence, you know, for him to have done what the state alleges. He would have had to have reached around her through that zone of blood spatter. But there was no blood of Kim's that was on his... uh, right arm or right sleeve or left sleeve. And Vaughn was right-handed. And Vaughn was right-handed. Okay. Now, is it important that, according to Bob Deal, there was blood on Kimberly's arm that was never tested? Well, it's important, particularly the blood on her left and right hands. Clutter contends that if Kim held the gun under her chin and used her left thumb to pull the trigger, her right hand to steady the weapon, that this pattern of blood could be consistent with suicide. If she was holding the gun, as soon as the bullet was fired, her blood would have been dripping down. There's patterns of passive drops of blood on her left hand, but that was never tested. But if that was her blood, that would be strong evidence that she held the gun 
and was bleeding onto the hand as uh, after the, the gun was fired. We've already really addressed the terry cloth. What would that have possibly shown had that not been disposed of? Passive blood stains. If those had been Kim's blood, you know, that's again consistent with her having self-inflicted and bleeding onto the terry cloth as she was slumping to the left. And so if we were able to identify that pattern of passive drops of blood were her blood, that would be very strong evidence that uh, she self-inflicted that wound. The wound under Kim's chin that's completely consistent with a self-inflicted gunshot wound. The muzzle of the gun wasn't firmly against the chin. It was raised up to the chin and there was enough of a gap that allowed the gas that was ejected from the barrel of the gun to darken and blacken her chin. And that's completely contrary to the initial belief of the state's attorney that the, the gun had been jammed under her chin. For Christopher Vaughn to have staged this, to make it look like Kim self-inflicted her own wound, he would have, one, had to have enlisted her cooperation to stand still while he placed the muzzle of the gun under her chin. There was no evidence that he had held her hair and she was trying to pull away. None of that type of evidence that would suggest that there was a violent, forceful struggle to put the barrel of the gun under her chin. There's also physical size to take into account of both Vaughn and the large SUV. It was Sergeant Lawson's opinion that he had reached through the passenger window. He had assumed that it was open because when they arrived at the scene, it was rolled up. But Lawson's theory was that Chris had reached in through the window and and killed Kim and killed the kids. Well, he would have to have awfully long arms to have reached all the way to the left side of the passenger seat to make those shots that killed the children. And, you know, he's only 5'9". I mean, he's just physically, as as Bob Deal said, that's an impossibility. While Vaughn's blood was found on his wife's retracted belt and droplets by her feet, there is no evidence that shows Vaughn ever stood outside that passenger door or evidence he walked back around the vehicle to the driver's side where a bullet was lodged with his DNA. The shot that penetrated his left leg, the barrel of the gun had been thrust into the jacket. And according to the ballistics, the shot was within less than six inches from the leg when it was fired. So the trajectory from the jacket pocket to the left leg would pass just millimeters above the growing area when it penetrated the top of the left leg right at the hip. It just narrowly missed the femoral artery of the leg, which could have been potentially fatal. Had that bullet been lower and he had been shot in the groin, I don't think he would have been charged. Or, or, Or alive. Or alive. And Clutter remains bothered by the criminal mastermind charge. Where's the evidence of that? We have to have evidence. You know, they have to have some evidence that he staged this crime scene, and there is none. There just simply isn't. There's strong reasonable doubt that he did this. The forensic evidence suggests that this was a murder-suicide. The state concedes 
it appears to be a murder-suicide. But the caveat is they argue that he staged the crime scene to make it look like it was. You have to prove that. That's the concept of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And they didn't meet that test. Twelve jurors were influenced by the emotional appeal of the crime scene photos, the dead children, the strip clubs, the character assassination. And that's why he's in prison today. But there are three major questions that have yet to be answered. On the next murder in Illinois, how did Christopher Vaughn's blood get on the retracted safety belt, droplets of his blood on the passenger side, and Kim's blood on the back of his jacket? It was a major revelation. Possible insight into these three unsolved mysteries in this case come from an unexpected source. Oh my God. Murder in Illinois is a production of iHeartRadio. Executive producers are Lauren Bright Pacheco and Taylor Shacoin. Written by Lauren Bright Pacheco and Matthew Riddle. Story editing by Matthew Riddle. Editing and sound design by Evan Tyre and Taylor Shacoin. Featuring music by Cicada Rhythm, with new compositions engineered and mixed by Evan Tyre and Taylor Shacoin. podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get the stories that matter to you. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency, where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch, so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, 
safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.